0: You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening.
1: Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Hallie. Today, we're welcoming Megan Gillis to discuss her novel, Lungfish, Before I introduce her to you, I just want to remind you that Skylight Books is open from 10 to 10 every day in Los Angeles and we ship nationwide from skylightbooks.com. Megan Gillis attended the Bennington Writing Seminars and is a fellow of the Hewn Oaks Artist Residency. She has worked as a journalist, a bookseller, a librarian, and a hospital worker and lives in Portland, Maine. Lungfish is her first novel. She is joined today by Kendall Storey Kendall is the editor-in-chief at Catapult. Welcome, Megan and Kendall. I'm so happy to have you.
2: Thanks, Hallie. Thank you, Hallie. So nice to be here. Um, hi, Megan. Hi, Kendall. Nice it's- to be speaking with you again. It's been a moment. It has. And it's, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here and to enter this, this new space with you. Uh, moving from the editorial space into the promotional space. It's very exciting. Um, (laughs) I'll just, uh, I'll start off by saying that Lungfish is the story of a woman pushed to the edge by economic precarity, by her husband's addiction, by the lies that she's been told and some of the lies that she's told herself. Um, It is set on an uninhabited island off the coast of Maine, where our protagonist, Tuck, is squatting illegally with her husband and their small daughter. And it explores, among other things, faith and doubt, motherhood and alienation, the beauty and precarity of the natural world, downward mobility, and the American opioid epidemic. Um, Since I'm guiding this conversation a little bit, I thought I'd start off by gushing um, a little bit about you and about the novel, because I'm just truly amazed by what you've accomplished here. Um, Lungfish is a novel of our time, but I think it's also timeless and all that it captures about the human condition. I'm just endlessly moved by it and I feel very privileged to help usher it into the world. Um, I wonder if you can just, if we could talk a little bit about how the novel was conceived.
0: Yeah, well, first, I just want to thank you so much for letting everyone know what the book was about. You always do that so beautifully, and I always count on you to do it well. So thank you, Kendall, for being my champion once again. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Right. So um, so this book began um, a number of years ago. I think it was roughly like probably 2015, 16-ish, began as sort of a desperate log of emotional states. Um, I was sort of exploring how to preserve some, some of the emotional states that I was experiencing in actual life in fiction, and sort of these short little deposits that were what I was able to manage as a new mother, you know, working a full-time job and, and trying to have a, keep a writing project going. So it really began as just a bunch of accumulating um, little, little vignettes um, that, you know, I tried with each one to, to capture some, some state of mind that I suspected would be sort of fleeting and hard to Retrieve or remember once it was passed.
2: Yes, I think that um, I think that the style and the structure of the novel everyone points to. That um, I wonder if we can speak a little bit about the style and the structure of the novel. Um, part of what I think allows the book to feel so approachable, um, even as it tackles so many huge subjects and covers so much emotional terrain, um, is its style. And many writers have spoken, um, many women writers in particular have spoken about the relationship between motherhood and the fragmented style. I wonder if if this was something That you feel characterizes your style in general if it's something that suited this book in particular if it's something that you're drawn to as a reader all of the above
0: yeah i mean i think it was sort of a a happy marriage of pre-existing um preferences as a reader and then like and then the conditions of being a parent who was trying to write i think um i so so I think the way I write is sort of inseparable from like my reading arc um, and I is Rebecca sort of back in roughly 2008 um, came down quite severely with Lyme disease which really affected my brain and um, I had actually just opened a little bookstore in the little college town I was living in. Um, and because of the Lyme disease suddenly I literally couldn't read a paragraph and remember the beginning of it. I just couldn't make sense of a of a page of words, so I really was distraught for a while, um, and certainly couldn't make any sense of like the Virginia Woolf or books like that that I had been reading and enjoying. Um, And you know, it was actually my my future husband Adam who um, started reading aloud to me, and I remember in particular he read to me the short stories of. Amy Hempel, which I hadn't read before. And something happened in my brain there where I could like feel synapses firing because there was something to be gained sort of at the sentence level from each sentence. So there was that sort of surge of awakeness, of alertness that I could start to feel in my brain again rather than just like feeling like I was dragging around with me. Um, so so yeah, from, from reading Hempel, I sort of jumped off and... Books like Why Did I Ever by Mary Robeson became hugely important to me as a reader. Again, just feeling like I was coming alive again. Um, Then getting into some Joy Williams, just really getting appreciation for these people who could just like make you grin in a a sentence. Um, So, you know, I did begin to write about that time. um, And I wouldn't say I necessarily started out by sort of copying their styles or trying to be as good but but i do think i carried their work with me as i sort of fumbled through like the early stories i was writing which were very different in style um <clears throat> it took me quite a while to arrive back at this sort of appreciation for truly like distilling things back to sort of the essence um, yeah, and then once you're a parent, that's all you can do anyway. If you're, you know, working as well, so it just worked out pretty well. I think what you describe is something that a
2: lot of people, particularly right now, can relate to. Um, with long COVID affecting so yeah. many people's brains, and um, and also with so many parents um, experiencing m- more sort of the the burdens of of, of um, child care because of the pandemic and. Um, and just having less time to devote, less sustained time to devote. I'm I I I, w- I want to hear you read a little bit from from your work, if that's okay. Um maybe if you could read uh from just that second uh chapter from the opening of the of the novel.
0: I will, yeah. I think this marks the first time that I've read any of this aloud to anybody else. So Wow, so momentous. <laughs> honored. Okay, so this is a chapter called Here. My body is still and flat beneath the heavy quilts, the smell of them part mothball, part cedar, part mildew, part beach rose, part my grandmother. I'm still not used to sleeping in this bed where she died beneath her stained glass window, the blues and yellows and reds that form across and circled in the Celtic way. In this bed on this island where no one else lives, in this house halfway out to sea, in this Gulf of Maine, on this island shaped like a shepherd's crook where pine needles stuck to my feet with sap when I was a child on the short visits that made each summer a thing that belonged to me. I try again to imagine having religion. I try again to imagine having religion and having it watch over my bed where presumably things happen. I imagine having religion and a husband I'm in the habit of touching, I imagine another way of living, but it's a lot to sustain and it's early and there's no hope of coffee. Paul hasn't slept, I'm sure. He paces or sits with his elbows on his knees and his fists clasped in his hair and rocks and trembles. His sweat, a sick slickness that covers the surface of him carries the smell, brings it out of his body like the damp sea air brought it out of the walls. I do panic a little knowing he's just outside the door. I could make myself get up if there was a guarantee that everything else would stay the same. But the sun comes up shockingly fast, like always, and starts it all. The light through the stained glass colors the bedspread, the blues and yellows and red, watery in their playful shiftiness in the way they encroach and lap and cover as the branches of the firs out there sway in the breeze, start by my toes and move upward toward my navel. This is when Agnes wakes up and begins to cry for me at my navel without fail. Mama. My feet hit the stairs. I hear Paul's own steps moving down the hallway into the room I've just seated, the bedroom. In turn, he has seated this, the rest of the house dancing with its own light. In nearly every window hangs some little glass ornament refracting. I pause and listen to the door latch quietly behind him The pound, 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 shh. Pound, 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 shh. As he goes from one end of the room to the other, turning on the ball of his foot. A change of scenery, a room not yet filled with stale air pulled through his body, his hell. Ma, ma! I was late to so much knowledge. So beautiful, thank you so
2: much. I. I mean, talk about sentences that contain multitudes and and that make you smile or that or that make you feel very deeply. I mean, even just this, you know, sentence on this island shaped like a shepherd's crook, where pine needles stuck to my feet with sap when I was a child on the short visits that made each summer a thing that belonged to me. There's an entire story in that sentence, um, and not only is it beautiful, it says it tells us so much. Um, and it also just in this very short section, you touch upon so many of the of the themes and, and subjects that this novel explores. Um, I'm I'm particularly drawn to, and you know, we've spoken extensively about the novel's relationship with faith and and religion and doubt. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what role religion and faith have played in in your life, in your family, in your inner life, your intellectual life, and and how that's made its way into this book.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I my mother is a minister. My grandmother's husbands were both ministers. I was brought up going to church, but quickly as a teenager decided that that was not anything I felt any connection to. and then I find myself as a as a parent sort of finally understanding why people need to have things to sort of that are bigger than themselves to believe in, you know, some framework for dealing with the world. And it sort of became more sympathetic towards the idea of of faith in something, even if even if perhaps it was an acquired faith, you know, a faith you had to seek out actively. Um, which is not to say I ever gained it, but I think I just became more curious about it. Um, and then, you know, certainly, you know, having a family member with addiction, it's almost impossible to, you know, be in any kind of recovery support group without, you know, some constant reiteration of the need for faith. Um, but I think that, honestly, the the way I grappled with faith the most was with just moving forward with this book itself like to me it was sort of um it was the biggest act of faith i've ever taken i mean i here i had this young family that was in a very difficult spot um and it's totally crazy to think that you could write your way out of that and yet you know i sort of decided i was gonna make the time take time away from attention to the family every day to move forward with it in the hopes that it would bring me to a place I needed to arrive at. Um, So I think my understanding of the way that faith can work for people actually deepened over the process of writing the book simply because writing it was an act of faith or an Mm -hmm. act of devotion of sorts. So that doesn't really answer any sort of academic questions about (laughs) faith, (laughs) Um, but yeah, I hope that speaks to my sort of tangle with it a little bit. It definitely does.
2: And I think that, well, would you say that you've arrived at that place that you had hoped to arrive at? Um, You know, that
0: that might be a little too, too tidy but I do feel that I have arrived at a much different place and I'm happy with where I am yeah
2: yeah Yeah. um I think one of the most interesting tensions of the novel is that Tuck our protagonist doesn't have this kind of this doesn't have this faith um I mean certainly doesn't really have doesn't have religion in the way that her grandmother did um but also has lost faith in her marriage, has lost faith in several areas of her life um, and in herself, certainly. Um, and I think that what she arrives at is also different from what she perhaps had hoped, but, um, but equally, as, equally as sort of, um, I guess, satisfying is maybe the wrong word. <laughs> I don't know how you would characterize it her her journey
0: yeah satisfying I don't know I mean I do I do think you come away with the feeling probably that she did what she needed to do yeah she
2: found some she found some kind of of faith I think also one of the threads of the of the novel that um that I find so compelling and that, and that everyone seems to find compelling is the landscape of the book and the, the setting of the novel, because it's there's so much danger and intensity in this coastal landscape, but also so much joy and nourishment. And um, I wonder if you, I mean, I thought it was interesting for example, that Anne Beatty wrote in her, her blurb for the book that the revelations of the natural world are wonderful and that they give a sense of what endures Um, this feeling of um, something that can be relied upon, which is, which is actually not how I originally thought about how the landscape uh, operated in the novel, but has kind of deepened my understanding in some way. I wonder if you can speak about the landscape of the book.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I live in Maine. So this is the landscape that I know as well as I know any other landscape. And I do think that, um, you know, this, this play, place on the map is, is interesting, because it encompasses the best, most welcome, most welcoming uh, um, of environments, and also some of the harshest. And to be, you know, to come out through the seasons as a Mainer, you do sort of experience the highs and the lows, and not everybody makes it through. I have, you know, a lot of friends who have tried to to live here and have moved away, not because, you know, their lives were actually threatened by the cold per se, but just because it's a, it's a cold, dark place, and that can Ruin a person, you know, psychically. I think in this story I've just sort of amplified that pressure a bit by um, you know, putting Tuck in such a such an isolated place and making her so dependent on the landscape for her survival. But I think it's sort of a a push and pull that everyone who lives here is somewhat familiar with yeah there's i mean
2: I think that what is it Carrie Arsenal s- said in her in her endorsement of the novel that that this book uh tackles or explores the real the real main she said, which I thought was an interesting phrase um i mean it the novel makes me think deeply about you know this very American problem, which is the rise of property taxes and so on, which result in families losing homes that they've had for generations. Um, and in Maine, you obviously have the the new rich and the vacation homes and the tourism industry, which we're all familiar with, as you say. But then, but then we also have this other Maine, which um, I wonder if you can actually speak a little bit more about that dynamic and and if that was if that was. Um, if that was central to to what you wanted to accomplish in, in the novel, or, or if it was just one aspect of it?
0: I think it was just an aspect of it. And, you know, it's also, I think important to keep in mind that our character Tuck is, is from away. I mean, she certainly doesn't consider herself a Mainer. She has sort of arrived in this place out of necessity, um, but it's, you know, she hasn't, Put in the time to, to earn the sort of the status of, of Mainer. Um, but I do think, I mean, just in my, you know, in my personal life um, and in the stories around me have been sort of very familiar with that story of, of family homes being lost. Um, it's very, I live on the coast. And so I think that's where you see that trend most pointedly um, in my own, uh, in my own family, it, it's sort of funny. We uh, back in the day, there was lots and lots of money and a and a huge house. And sort of every decade or so, things get scaled back. And so now we're sort of living on this edge of of a what was once a much larger piece of property and a much smaller home. And um, and I think you know I've just lived with that sort of constant threat of like oh this is something we have to actively fight for. Like the the tides are sort of against against us here, there is this natural sort of winnowing and we have to sort of defend what we want, but it's also so complicated because um, having any property here is such a privilege that you're fighting for something that you're at once recognizing that you are by no means entitled to. It's just a matter of, I guess, not getting sort of snapped up by a bigger turtle, you know. You hope that a bunch of smaller turtles come for you rather, rather than a bigger one.
2: This this downward mobility that you describe and um and also this feeling of you know, what makes someone deserving of of some kind of inheritance or some kind of property that's been in the family for generations. Um it's something that Tuck, you know, grapples with throughout the novel and it's something that I feel so many Americans are are grappling with um, these larger questions of in times of economic stress and, and precarity, as the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Um, you know, what is what does make a, a deserving life or a deserving person? Um I find that, I find that really, really compelling. And I don't know that I've that I've read another novel that that explores it. Um, so well, um, another contemporary novel. Um, I also, I suppose, too, we should speak about the role that the role that addiction plays in the book, um, because it's of course just one aspect of what of what Tuck is dealing with. But I think it is it is something very important that characterizes her her marriage and and the precipice that
0: she finds herself at. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such a, it's such a, it's such a huge unwieldy problem. Nobody knows how to fix it. So therefore nobody really talks about it too much, you know, and, you know, unless a politician has summoned a few million dollars that they're going to sort of symbolically throw at the problem. But I think, you know, we're in a, we're in a, place with this epidemic where there needs to be like a total overhaul of the way that the systems work and obviously I can't fix that myself nor do I know how to Um, but I did find that you know through writing this book I hoped at least to um, sort of capture some of the nuance of the ways that addiction can affect lives unfortunately i do think you know more and more people are gaining their own understanding of it as more and more people are are touched by it um, but i have only read a handful of books that i felt really explored the issue in a way that was palatable enough for like the normal reader to sort of pick up and want to engage with. Um, You know, recently um, there was on Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous, which was, you know, such a beautiful book. Um, You could almost forget that addiction was such a big element of it though. Um, So yeah, I guess, what am I saying? I can't, I'm not gonna solve this problem. I recognize that, um, but I do, you know, I did wanna sort of grapple with it publicly and maybe maybe a few people can sort of relate to the experiences of some of the characters. Maybe a few people will kind of think about the problem in a new way.
2: Yeah, certainly. I, I, the novel certainly made me think about it, The uh, particularly the emotional side of it, um, how it affects people and people's inner lives. Um, I, I wonder too um, how much you've had all of these lives and you've had all of these different jobs, um, including uh, as a hospital worker, has that informed your writing practice? Has it informed um, your, your interest as a writer?
0: I think that the reason that I've chosen the jobs that I've chosen for the most part is simply that they put me in constant contact with people from all kinds of backgrounds that I wouldn't necessarily be in contact with otherwise. Um, I do find that really enriching and really stimulating. Um, I'm doing something different now. I'm working from home, which I thought would be so convenient with the kid and all that. and what I'm finding is just like, there's no material, there's no spark, you know, just, um, yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't think there was anything necessarily about working in a library or working in a hospital um, that made me want to tell certain stories. But um, I think, you know, every time you're approached by someone new or you're in contact with somebody new, you just are imagining their lives. And yeah, I, that's, that's what those jobs gave to me.
2: That's, I think what you're experiencing is something many of us are in the sort of move toward work from home um, or with work from home becoming the norm for a lot of office jobs. Um, we're missing out on some of that inspiration, some of that spontaneity, the human connection, um, the ability to observe other people's lives, even if even if only your colleagues. Um, I, I, I hope that you'll, I hope you find that in other aspects of your life if you, if you remain in this new work from home job.
0: <laughs> um, I, might, I, I might go back to answering call bells. That was very fun. Oh, wow. <laughs> what was that like? It was very funny. I mean, sometimes when it was busy, it was, it was wonderful. And, you know, you'd get real characters and I'd establish relationships with people through the wall. You know, they'd never seen me and, you know, they might they might just, you know, be super lonely because they've been in there for weeks and it's COVID. So nobody's come to visit them. So they're just ringing out for somebody to, to talk to, or, you know, we also, um, you know, we had a lot of people going through, um, active withdrawal on our unit. So people who are literally quite psychotic and just off the walls and just saying nonsense stuff and just, and we also had a number of you know, dementia patients who would also ring out, oftentimes not understanding who they were talking to and just getting to inhabit those conversations with them, you know, no, no argument needed, no pushback, just being able to sort of be that voice <laughs> in the wall that tells them what they need to hear to sort of calm down. It um, was really delightful. I really, I really loved that aspect. The only problem was that sometimes it got quite, quite slow and then it felt a little bit like, hmm, what am I actually doing? It's
2: hard to imagine a, a better a better job a better side job for a writer than that though. I know
0: I should probably go back
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing your work with us today Megan and Kendall thank you so much for your thoughtful questions uh today's guests once again were Megan Gillis and Kendall Story and they were discussing Lungfish which is out now from Catapult you can order your copy at skylightbooks.com thank you for listening